KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington, it's the Northwest Now podcast. Each week, we take a closer look at the people and issues that affect all of us here in Western Washington. So sit back, relax, and join the conversation with your host, Tom Lason. It promises to be a school year like none before it as a series of challenges hit the public schools all at once. Joining us tonight, State School Superintendent Chris Reichdahl with a look at declining enrollments and the funding issues it's causing. Next, two Pierce County superintendents talking about budgets and what kids can expect as everybody works overtime to make up for COVID learning deficits. And our Steve Kiggins brings us the story of a mental health crisis among youth that is having a big impact on the schools. The upcoming school year is the discussion next on Northwest Now. With per-student spending now at $17,000 a year, almost doubling in the past decade, you might think all is well at Washington's public schools, but you'd be wrong. Due to an epic shift in demographics and a rush to private and homeschooling, enrollment is down sharply. That means the one million students in many of Washington's school districts are facing budget cuts in places like Bellevue and even in Seattle, which faced a $131 million deficit coming into this school year. COVID hasn't helped either. While test scores did tick upward a bit last year, only 38% are at grade level in math and about half in English and language arts. And there's another big problem, mental health. As Northwest Now reporter Steve Kiggins tells us, the most recent healthy youth survey shows about 60% of adolescents are experiencing anxiety or depression, with 20% needing clinical care and another 20% reporting having considered suicide. I don't think um, that we've ever had a time where there's so many uh, conflicting issues that are coming to bear at the same time for children. Stephen Blanford, Executive Director at the Children's Alliance, released its own report covering the results of the Healthy Youth Survey, drawing conclusions from a steering committee aimed to make right the damaged psyche of Washington's youth. When kids are you know, grappling with suicide ideation, we need immediate answers and then we can work on those longer term solutions. The nonprofit Mental Health America ranks Washington State 32 out of 51 locations across the country, meaning youth in 31 other jurisdictions have an easier chance to afford and access mental health care. Washington State agencies who conducted the survey found social media heavily and negatively influencing youth's mental well-being. Approximately one in five, that's 20% of 10th graders, were at risk for problematic internet use in 2021. One in five. Now, what does that mean? Problematic internet use includes feeling anxious or withdrawn, withdrawal, when you're not able to connect to social media or internet. The coding of the past has been how to maximize your attention down a, a rabbit hole in some cases, and I think the future is really having kids, uh, families, uh, and developers program the way that people would like to engage with things. Reed Saris, author of the Children's Alliance Report, says Washington must act swiftly to invest in healthcare professionals and even group therapy models for youth, among other methods, to reduce the barriers preventing teens 
accessing care. With the report, we hope to really push our thinking about what's possible, because I think everybody in the state is aware of the level of crisis. The governor declared it an emergency. There's major advisories from the U.S. Surgeon General, and we wanted to talk about what can actually be done. For Northwest Now, I'm Steve Kiggins. An in-depth conversation with the Department of Health's Dr. Mayan Simkees about the Healthy Youth Survey continues on the Steve on the Street podcast, streaming now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Joining us now is State Superintendent of Schools, Chris Reichdahl. Chris, thanks for coming to Northwest Now. Every year you come to this program and we do a back to school um, show. And for a while, you know, with McCleary and things, it really looked like school funding and, and things were turning in a, in a good direction. You were encouraged, but now, the worm looks like it's turning again. You've talked about this perfect storm here when it comes to enrollment and subsequently funding and budgets, which we'll get to. What is going on with enrollment when it comes to private schools and birth rates? What is that perfect storm and how do you analyze what's happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been watching this for a very long time, of course, and we knew that over the next 10 years, our enrollments would flatten out and eventually actually decline a little bit. The declining birth rate in America is very real. It's very real in a state like ours, especially in the Puget Sound. I'd say what COVID did was expedite that. So instead of a slow, steady decline, there's this rapid decline. We're already recovering out of it, but in 10 years, we'll be exactly where we kind of model today. Uh, we've had a big jump in enrollment since last year. We're already at 5,000, 7,000 if you include early learning. So the recovery is very robust right now, but we don't expect enrollments to ever get back to 2018, 19 levels. That was demographically the high, and we've been modeling for these lower numbers for a while. And did COVID kind of push some families a little bit into private schools and seeking alternatives? Was it a little bit of a, an eye-opener for some families in that regard? A little bit. The data seems to be, and we don't get very good private school data in this state, but the data seems to be that some families made that choice that was important to them. The vast bulk of what we see in enrollment change in public schools are families who just said, hey, for kindergarten, first, second, third grade, I'm going to homeschool my child. Uh -huh. So we see more of that, and we're already seeing some of those students start to return. But that smaller cohort for two or three years, that'll move through the system. We pick up a bunch in eighth grade. We pick up a bunch in high school because kids want more diverse yeah. offerings. So, so we're in pretty good shape now, but yeah, it's more of a homeschool choice in early grades than, than a big private school shift. So here's the weird thing. You think to yourself, well, that's gonna take some pressure off the schools. Class sizes will go down. You know, the bus won't be so crowded. Uh, that should be make for a nice couple years considering how we're built out, but no, we end up with budget problems now in some districts. What's driving that? What is the what is the phenomena that I'm not getting thinking it? Well, maybe it's a good thing for schools. Yeah, it's such a great question. In our state, money follows a child. So despite sort of all the rhetoric from the left and the right about how to fund schools, the truth of Washington state is as districts grow enrollment, more money follows them. As they shrink enrollments, money gets taken away from them. We don't have what's called a base plus system. We don't fund a district constantly it's really a function of their enrollment movements. So it seems weird, but when you lose two or 3% of your enrollments, you lose two or 3% of your budget. And if that's one kid per classroom, you don't exactly get to get rid of a classroom. If you go from 28 kids to 27, you still have all the costs, but you've lost two or 3% of the revenue. So mm -hmm. some of our districts are in a tough spot right now about enrollment changes. They're making really important changes so that they're prepared here, uh, but, it, but it happened pretty rapidly. Again, we were modeling this over many years, slow and steady change. COVID made it happen very quickly. And what's interesting is some of the high property tax value districts like Bellevue and Seattle are the ones that are struggling. What is the rural, urban, what's, what kind of district is getting hit by this? Disproportionately suburban Washington, uh, where there's higher wealth, and it's, we think it's a function of how many big employers in those areas said to their families, continue to work from home. If you're a family that had that option, well, you can save a 
quite a few bucks and maybe even be close to your child for several years by homeschooling. So we see suburban Washington as the biggest enrollment impacts in those districts, urban to some extent, rural Washington, pretty neutral and growing in many places. Are there also structural issues to you? You and I have talked over the years uh, about trying to get away from a system where zip code matters. Mm -hmm. um, but clearly we're supposed to fish, fix that to some degree. I, th I think we're still seeing it. Um, you've rolled out a couple of, I'll just give you a jump start here, um, a couple of figures that I think are in interesting. Um, we, use, we spend 3% of state GDP on education. The national average is 3.6. Um, about 50% of our general uh, budget went to education. Now we're down into the 40s. So there's more, the, the number is higher. Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily resulting in a full funding of education. Do I have that right? Yeah, you've really nailed it, and everyone has a different perspective on this. I'm grateful for our legislature. They've continued to keep up with inflation for the most part. That's very different, though, than are we returning our economic value back to schools? And we had a couple years where it really was growing. It was great. We were kind of meeting those targets, and now we're slink, uh, sinking back down again. It's really a function of when we create prosperity in Washington, what was the source of that? I think it was early learning, higher ed, K-12, our private sector enterprise, our risk taking. It has to go back in or you will lose something. And that's where I get a little bit nervous about this. So yeah, we're shrinking once again as a share of our state budget. We're shrinking again as a share of our overall economy. Um, some of this is enrollment loss. And so it's natural that districts have to adjust. Uh, but when I see what we need in terms of student mental health, um, counselor support. It's just a totally different way of teaching some kids around media literacy and all of their sort of experiences. Yeah. It just constantly means vigilance in, in, in K-12. It's not a static system. You don't invest in it and walk away and say the formulas are done. It's a constant review of those. And as you as you step through some of this, you can hear this perfect storm gathering a little bit with enrollments and funding and percentage of GDP and some uh, some of those things kind of coming together there. Um, student performance, I know, is an issue, and I have talked before about this. The numbers uh, are not great. Um, is that something reversible, or are we just going to watch this cohort go all the way through, and is, is that recoverable? Oh, yeah, and we're already seeing it. That's the good news. So what we observe is Washington, and then we put ourselves against the national framework. There's a, something called the National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP. It's the only test in the country where we get to see ourselves versus the other 49 states. We remain a top 15 state in the nation in math and in reading, uh, so that's very positive. But the whole country took a step back. The whole world really did, but, but we watch uh, American results. Really good gap closing between African-American and white students right now. We're two in the nation in fourth grade reading, and I think we're seventh and eighth uh, in math. So really good stuff there. Still see some big gaps in Hispanic uh, differences. And then there's always this persistent gap based on income regardless of race. So test scores rebounding. Math at almost every grade this last year rebounded quite a bit. Uh, reading's been more neutral in our state and around the country. So we see this really nice recovery. It'll continue to get more robust. You'll barely see differences when these kids are 10th, 11th, 12th graders because of the duration. So it's of kind of a reversion to the mean there a little bit, possibly. It, it yeah. will be. And as, as you can imagine, it's time, right? Kids need time. We have the most incredible educators in the nation. We really do. 50, 60% of them with advanced degrees, highest level of national board certification. We have high standards. When kids get time with teachers, great things happen. We just got to keep building that time. So let's talk about teachers. A lot of McCleary went into teachers. Um, they're making decent money now, um, starting teachers and all the way through the system. And yet I hear of big problems with burnout, big problems with kind of walking away from the profession. It's always been an issue, but it's... I, I thought it might moderate, but it seems like it's accelerating. Is that true here in Washington? Um, 
how do we compare nationally and what are you seeing when it comes to teachers, teacher burnout, and being able to sustain a career? Yes, yeah, certainly happening nationally. We see some really tough stuff coming out of some states, particularly in the South. There's some culture wars that are contributing yeah. to that. There's just an overall lack of respect in those places, a lack of compensation. So we do better because of the great investments we've made. What I always try to remind people is, are you worried we're going to lose a teacher to Mississippi and Alabama? Because I'm not. No. It doesn't happen. I'm really worried we're going to lose a teacher to Microsoft and Amazon. Two great companies. We want them to be successful. But our competition for great educators starts with young people in middle school and high school exploring what they want to do. And do they see teaching as viable as coding or engineering? So How short are we? We're short in things like special education, a little bit in math and science, definitely in EL, English language learner, bilingual support. So we've got some things we're doing to try to change that dynamic, but these are slow moving changes. Um, what I would say to every young person is this is a great career. <laughs> and if you want something that really gives back to the world and to our communities, this is it. And compared to other states, we do really well. Last 90 seconds here, I wanna get special ed mm -hmm. in as well. Um, that has remained almost its own problem to some degree. Can you talk a little bit about the, the cap that caps funding for districts? And, um, and I think you've also made this uh, comment too, that it's not so much a budget issue now, it's actually a civil rights issue. So, mm -hmm. which, is, which puts the cap under a question mark over capping it. Talk a little bit about that and what do you think the solution is? And I know you can do it in 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> every student in the state has a constitutional right to basic ed and we have to value every child uh, in their own unique, beautiful way. We've continued to close gaps for students with disabilities. In other words, better performance on assessments, better graduation rates, better post-secondary. We're not there yet, we're not even close. So every time I look at the policy framework, I say, what's the next step? We've invested in formulas, it's now time to just totally lift the cap off so no district is getting capped or limited in state investment because there's an artificial percentage of kids with disabilities. If your district's 19% and mine's 14, we should get paid for every child that's there. So not, not, cap, not cap the 19, but say, hey, they've got more. Yep. They need additional funding. Yeah, and it's really reasonable. Less than $20 million per fiscal year. We'll ask for it this year. Our legislature's made really good progress. I think this is the next logical step. Chris Reichdahl, thanks so much for coming to Northwest Now and good luck in the upcoming school year. Thanks. Local superintendents are responsible for delivering education in all of the state's 295 school districts. And that includes returning guests Tom Siegel from Bethel and Lance Goodpaster, who heads up the Franklin Pierce School District. Welcome both of you to Northwest Now. Great to have our annual conversation about uh, going back to school. Um, I want to get um, some feedback from both of you. First of all, uh, about budgets. Um, the superintendent of schools has talked a little bit about this perfect storm with demographics and homeschooling and a variety of factors. Tom and Bethel, what are you seeing when it comes to budget? Are there budget impacts for you with enrollments? We have uh, kind of the unusual situation of being a growth school district. So we're not feeling the same impacts are being felt throughout the area, but those impacts are real. And what the superintendent of public instruction has said is the, the reality for almost all school districts. We also finally got regionalization, which we should have had four years ago. Uh, so that's helped us, um, but we're still not out of the woods. Unless there's some significant changes in the next few years about how the state funds public education, we're gonna be in the same situation as many other school districts face right now. The, phasing, the, the saving grace for us is we finally got regionalization of 6% additional funds, and then we do, are a growth school district, but that presents its own problems because my area of the county is totally unprepared for the next 50, 000, 51,000 people 
that are coming to our area in the next 17 years. Right. Regionalization got you a little, a little bonus, if you will, for being in a metro area, but that comes with its own set of headaches. Lance, um, what's happening with your budget there in Franklin Pierce? Yeah, we have the, some of the concerns that Superintendent Reichdahl has shared is absolutely hitting us in Franklin Pierce. We're not the growth district that Tom is in Bethel. We're, we're a little enclosed. We have a few developments going up, but there's not a lot of room. Uh, so we have not yet recovered to the point enrollment-wise where we were pre-pandemic. So that, that has impacted our budget. And to, to Tom's point, the, the, the insufficient funding for support staff, just not to yeah. the level it needs to be yet. Paras being yeah. the big one, right? Well, paras, but also uh, counselors, social workers, psychologists, yeah. nurses, security staff, SROs. That Those village that comes around a teacher and the students and yeah, yeah they're both nodding vigorously. Yes. Um, this is a little off the beaten path because it's about climate change, but I wanted to include it because I've heard some superintendents talk about it and I think physical comfort I will say, in my humble opinion, I'm not an expert, I think it impacts teaching and learning. Um, what is going on with, with heating and air conditioning in this era? Um, Tom, you and I talked just a little bit about the show began, about how hot I know it is done in Bethel from time to time. What's going on with that? Well, we've tried to make sure our systems are as up-to-date as possible and actually function the way they should. Uh, but uh, I've got to put a plug-in for something that needs to change, and that is basically... We need to have a simple majority for bonds for school construction. So when we do have a major system, an HVAC system, heating and ventilation system that needs to be replaced, we can go to the public and get a reasonable response rather than have to run a bond five times with all the delays. Uh, my school district- With a 60-40 on it. 60-40, yeah, yeah, right now. Simple, uh, simple majority would be much easier. And my school district is frankly the poster child for what can happen uh, for a school district. When I got here 22 years ago, it was, a, it was an unmitigated disaster. We had everything wrong you could think of. We were overcrowded. We had more uh, portable classrooms than any other school district in the yep. state with the exception of Tacoma and Seattle. We had H, uh, not HVAC problems, but we had uh, E. coli on the water, lead contamination, and we had uh, toxic mold in many buildings because they just could not have the money to fix the buildings, let alone build the buildings needed to house everybody. Yeah, that's what happens when you unload your your moving van too quickly, Tom, right. as you, you walk into that. Uh, Lance, what's going on um, uh, with you guys in terms of HVAC and and this and the, the extreme heat we're seeing? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll echo Tom's statement around uh, the need to move away from the 60-40 supermajority to pass uh, bonds. We were fortunate enough to pass a bond in 2016, which um, has turned out to be an incredible blessing. So we have... Uh, five elementary schools that are brand new so that the heat, that, that HVAC there is taken care of. Uh, we also used the federal ESSER dollars to upgrade some of our HVAC systems in our older schools. Uh -huh. and that, that was an expensive task oh, yeah. and used some of those federal dollars that we could have used elsewhere, but to your point, absolutely necessary to create um, an environment for yeah. teaching and learning to occur. Lance, I'll start with you on this one. Um, Steve Kiggins, our reporter, did a piece about a new survey that shows just an, an amazingly high percentage of students facing mental health issues. We've known this has been an issue for a while and maybe thought, maybe I did naively, that after COVID, maybe things would get back to normal. Man, um, the numbers do not show that. What is your perception of that? What is the solution? How big of a problem is it? Well, the problem is real and it's big. Um, our, we get those same healthy youth survey results and we get them specific to the Franklin Pierce School District mm. and school by school and 
and those statewide indicators are true right here in Pierce County and Franklin Pierce. Uh, Pierce County is doing an admirable job of moving their ESSER federal dollars and other funds, you know, the one percent of, of one-tenth of one percent tax for creating um, mental health supports in the, in the community. The challenge is access yeah. and finding Matching quick and the need, exactly. Yeah, the need up. Yeah. Uh, we, we know that those, those supports exist. They're not sufficient yet. There's not nearly enough. Um, and the challenge can be, you know, we have a student in crisis. We know they're in crisis. We have counselors who aren't trained mental yeah. health professionals. Uh, we need to be able to find support for that student now and immediately. Tom, you've been in the game a long time. Is this a matter of we're more aware or no, it's a growing problem? What's your take on that? Mm -hmm. I first learned about this a number of years ago and I was literally shocked and couldn't believe the number of kids that really do have mental health issues that need to be resolved. And over a period of time, we've been working toward helping that through a number of things. We've basically set up a multi-tiered system of support, a kind of a triage system to identify kids and try to figure out what level of support they need. We've actually got a contract where kids can use telemed uh, capabilities using their school-issued iPads mm -hmm. to obtain uh, actual mental health uh, support. Uh, and then we're also putting in clinics in some of our schools so they have more direct access to a clinician right there at one of the schools. But it's, it, is a, it was a large problem to begin with prior to COVID. It's worse now as a result of the isolation that occurred and there is no simple easy fix. This is one of the areas that Lance is talking about. There's been no support to help the teachers with the ancillary functions that need to occur to make kids, make sure kids are capable of operating at a high level. Right. And that's uh, the counseling, paraeducators, exactly. that all the support staff, te teaching's kind of the point of the spear, but, but there has to be a community around that. There has to, because the rest of society isn't, isn't doing it. So we're kind of looked to as the go-to people to try to fix things. Fixing things early in a person's career in life is a good thing, uh, and, but the funding is not there, and the need is definitely there. Speaking of teachers, um, there's a national, a crushing teacher shortage. Here in Washington State, you know, McCleary bumped up salaries. I thought things were going a little better, but now I'm hearing, no, we got burnouts and quits happening. What's, um, I have no idea what's happening in either your districts specifically, but um, Lance, what's the situation in Franklin Pierce? Well, we certainly see some of that, right? Teachers leaving the profession. Um, however, I think in, in Washington State and at least in our local community, we're seeing uh, a slight bounce back from the, okay. the teacher shortage that, that has existed and really even existed pre-pandemic. Um, we have all of our positions filled, okay. even, even most of our extremely difficult oh, good. positions. Um, Math, science. Our substitute pool is still uh, limited, so that's a challenge when, when teachers are ill and need to take a day and, and we really are uh, supporting wellness of our staff. Right. We want folks to take a day off when they right when they need one and are sick. We'll get you back into the classroom, teacher. Lance, so yeah. it's good for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what's the situation in Bethel? I would say very similar. We're, we've been fortunate that uh, we've been able to hire all the teachers that we need in the, in, uh, in the critical areas in particular. Uh, and, you know, it's not been quite as much of a struggle this time around, but it is still an issue out there long term. We need to make sure there's a sufficient number of people coming into the, the field that are really highly qualified to take the reins and help our kids. One area that uh, Lance didn't talk on, it's outside of uh, teachers, is we are critically short of bus drivers. Yeah. Uh, uh, we uh, we're, sh we're 11 short from last year. We were short the year prior. 
and we, were, we have to reduce the number of kids that we are going to be busing. In my district, that's particularly a problem oh, yeah. because we only have like uh, something like eight or nine percent of the streets have sidewalks. Yeah, Bethel's geographically yeah, yeah, 200, large. 202 square miles. Yeah. So it's a problem. We've just sent out the information to our parents, and I know they're unhappy. Some of them are unhappy, but the routes that we've selected for people, kids to walk on, are in fact been reviewed and actually walked by our transportation department to ensure they're safe. But it is an inconvenience, and some kids are going to have to walk up to the maximum amount that they're required or allowed by law. Last 60 seconds here, which I'm sure is plenty of time for this, I, <laughs> I kid. Um, Lance, um, maybe this maybe it's just a view of as to whether you're optimistic or pessimistic about our ability to remediate learning deficits that we're seeing. Uh, is that Are we going to watch this demographic go all the way to their senior year, or do you think we can recover, no. re revert to the median? What do you think? I, I'm optimistic. Uh, there's no doubt that the pandemic took a toll and um, you know children were learning during that time but they just weren't learning in the traditional sense and the ways that that academically uh, we needed them to mm -hmm. so um, we're taking steps we're moving in the right direction I'm optimistic especially our younger children will get back to yeah. uh, where they need to be yeah because time's on their side exactly there. last 30 for you Tom optimistic I'm optimistic. Uh, kids are highly capable of, of learning faster uh, than we ever give them credit for. Yep. Uh, we've seen the growth occurring uh, at a rate that would suggest that they're going to be where they should be, if not actually beyond that for most kids. Uh, but there still is a need for help, uh, the counselors yep. and, and that sort of stuff. It, it's just absolutely needed anyway, but we need to make sure that these kids that were affected most directly by the pandemic are supported. But they'll right. make it. Great conversation, guys. Talked about a lot of big issues, and I wish you the best of luck in the upcoming school year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Declining enrollment, lower test scores, tight budgets, and a teacher shortage don't bode well for the public schools. The bottom line, universal education that aims to teach every student and delivers critical thinkers who are ready to carry this democracy forward is the most important investment we can make. And this is no time to throw up our hands in despair.